0: Welcome to the new season of the Tudors Dynasty podcast. I'm the founder and host of the show, and I am so pleased that you are back for another season with us. Today, we are launching the new season with an episode on Holbein's Hidden Gem with three amazing guests that I think you're really going to enjoy. So sit back and get ready to learn some history.
1: The Tudors Dynasty podcast.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is David Holland, and I'm the founder and organiser of an event that's being held in England next year called the Wolf Hall Weekend. And it's a tribute and a celebration of Dame Hilary Mantel, the late Dame Hilary Mantel, and her wonderful, incredible trilogy, uh, the Wolf Hall Trilogy, which includes the three books. Uh, Wolf Or, bring up the bodies and um, the mirror and the light, of which I'm sure many of you listeners are familiar with. And I'm thrilled that we're running this series on Tudor Dynasties podcast uh, about the trilogy, but diving in with experts into various aspects of the life of Thomas Cromwell, uh, particularly as seen through the eyes of Hilary Mantel in her trilogy. So that's the sort of the skew that we're placing on on this series. So a, a bit more than just a history uh, view, also and a, a subjective view that taken by Hillary in the life of Thomas Cromwell. Today I'm joined by two very auspicious experts um, who know a lot more about this than me. Uh, the first is Dr. Owen Emerson. Hello, Owen, how are you?
1: Hello there. I'm very good, thank you. Pleasure so, to be here.
2: Yeah, glad you could make it. And also uh, Melanie um, Taylor, Hi, Melanie. Hi, Hi David. Who Thank you think, for having me on. Yeah, no, thrilled. And I think um, regular listeners to the podcast will be familiar with you. You've been interviewed before uh, on this podcast series. So um, yeah. just to say a little bit about my two auspicious guests, um, um, Dr. Owen Emerson is a social and cultural historian. His PhD, by the way, was in the abolition of corporal punishment which is quite relevant to Tudor times, uh, of which there was a lot of corpor- corporal punishment, the death sentence in its various gruesome forms. Dr. Owen Emerson uh, has just finished six years as the castle historian and assistant curator at Hever Castle in Kent, that beautiful, beautiful building there in Kent, and also the author of four books, and the latest of which is called Holbein's Hidden Gem, uh, rediscovering Thomas Cromwell's Lost Book. Where can we get a copy of, of this book? I, I had a look on Amazon. I couldn't see it. No,
1: it's it's actually um, uh, co-authored by my wonderful um, friend, Kate McCaffrey, and is available exclusively through Heaver Castle. So you can actually get it on the online shop.
2: Oh, great. I have one. You've got one. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, <laughs> so listeners, you have to go to Heaver Hever Castle's online shop. To get a copy highly recommended i'm going to do that straight after we hang up um owen that's great um thank so um, melanie taylor um author and historian um has a particular interest in the art of the tudor period um of which of course hans holbein the younger was probably uh, the best known today um out, out of all of those artists um And, of course, he is particularly well-known for his uh, portraits, I should say, of Henry VIII and also of his various wives and queens, which are on display in various galleries around the world. And particularly today, we're talking about uh, Holbein's portrait of Thomas Cromwell, the um, auspicious advisor to Henry VIII. And Melanie is also the author of four books two historical novels, and two contemporary novels. So we're th- I'm thrilled to have you with me today. So the subject we're going to debate, discuss, is um, borrowing from your title, um, yours and Kate's title, Owen, um, Holbein's Hidden Gem. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm taking the liberty of just kicking off on this because I, again, want to just bring us back to the fact that we are looking at this through the eyes of Hilary Mantel's uh, Thomas Cromwell. So I'm referring to the original book, Wolf Hall, and um, in my copy on page 525 um, in part five, chapter three, which she entitled A Painter's Eye, 1534, it's the shortest chapter in 2,000 pages of the trilogy. Um, And I'm just going to quote from it because um, this sort of sets the scene. And it also um, shows how, um, in just oh, in just the last fourteen months, our understanding of of this portrait by Holbein has changed significantly, thanks to you and Kate. In this short passage, uh, Cromwell enters um, his house, and uh, he's got the the grand reveal of uh, from hands of, of the portrait, and so he looks at the picture's lower lower edge and allows his gaze to creep upwards. A quill, scissors, papers, his seal in a little bag, and a heavy volume bound in blackish green. The leather talled in gold, the pages gilt-edged. Hans has asked to see his Bible and rejected it as too plain, too thumbed. He had scoured the house and found the finest volume he owned on the desk of Thomas Avery. It is the monk Pacioli's work, the book on how to keep your books, sent to him from his by his kind friends in Venice. So I'll stop there. So Hilary, sadly, really sadly, Owen and I, you and I were chatting about this just a bit earlier. Uh, Hilary uh, sadly passed away before um, you made the discovery. Did you want to just say a little, a little bit about her? Uh, sort of guess that it was Pacioli's book on, on accounting, double double column accounting, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. It, it was, um, you know, really sad that Hilary never actually got to, to see the book that she so beautifully wrote about. And um, Hilary was um, a fairly frequent visitor to Hever Castle. She did quite a bit of promotional work there. And it would have been wonderful to be able to play place that book in her hands and we're all very sad that we never got to do that. Um but I actually really love um how Hillary describes this, you know, uh, book in uh, her wonderful novel and I think it's a really a real testament to the the kind of level of research that she did because um we know that Thomas Cromwell was importing great numbers of books actually from all over the place and and chiefly through an agent called Stephen Vaughan um so I I really enjoy the fact that she is you know theorized and thought about the the potential for what this book could be uh really interesting that she initially uh, wrote that his, his Bible had been you know tossed aside in favor of this this other work <laughs> uh, when we know that this is a, it was a, a, indeed a scriptural, prayer book so um i yeah I, I i love it i love the scene that she captures um and uh, you know it was beautifully replicated in the in the television series as well yeah um so yeah she did a she did a jolly good job in my
2: opinion so there was some basis to her assumption her potential assumption that it was uh, a book on accounting by Pacioli. okay you had read that then in Wolf Hall before you and Kate. So tell me a little bit about the how you and Kate. What, you just spent time staring at the at the portrait one day and thought, I wonder what that book is. I mean, how, how did it come about?
1: Well, the the real um, sort of discoverer or, or of the connection was uh, a wonderful uh, ex-colleague and friend of mine, Alison Palmer. Um, so to, to give a bit of context about how we. Um, came to to identify it. Um, My my wonderful friend Kate McCaffrey had been uh, researching Anne Boleyn's 1527 Book of Hours, which was printed by Germain Hardouin. And she very astutely discovered that um, Catherine of Aragon owned a similar copy. And with that information in mind, she felt sure that the Other owners of this very limited print run from 1527, uh, which was specifically for an English market, and the first time that this printer had done so, uh, may also have been owned by some important individuals at the English court, and that was an astute observation by her. Um, She located a a copy at the Wren Library, which they have beautifully kept um, since 1660,
2: yeah, um, and, just so listeners can know, you can actually, if you Google that, you can actually see <laughs> uh, a digital version of of the book for, yeah, okay. Sorry, yeah, I was, ab- I was it.
1: absolutely. I mean, it's been beautifully digitised, it's been beautifully cared for, and they uh, have known about the book's existence for quite some time and have cared for it in, in a beautiful way. Um, what they didn't know was, where who was the first owner of that book they had a provenance trail from sixteen sixty because that's when it was donated um and we spent a, a lovely day in the Wren poring over this and other books um and we came away, you know with a real desire to sort of find out more about it. There aren't any inscriptions in the book uh, other than later ones um and it was really by chance that the next day Alison went to a lecture where the beautiful Frick version of uh, the portrait was put up on a slideshow. And of course it's such a, um, you know, unmistakable cover really. And, you know, just was amazed. She just thought, my goodness, that that's almost identical to the book we just saw. <laughs> um, Of course we, we then had to just, you know. Sorry,
2: can I just ask what gave it away, uh, Owen? Was it the jewel on on the cover, or was it the embossing? What was, or, or yeah, the I, hallmarks? Or
1: I, I've not actually seen a, a a book cover quite like this one. It's quite distinct. Um, it has that central um, boss on it with the jewel. It also has the the um, jewels in the clasps. Um, but I think this is actually a, a a real testament to to Holbein's skill in that it. Is almost identical to to the book in the painting. I mean, it's quite amazing the level of detail that he realised. Um, so we we did have to contemplate the possibility that the the book cover had been put on in homage to that beautiful painting. Um, so the 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 work we did in the preceding um, year um, was to very much ask whether it was a, a, a duplicate book or whether it could possibly be the book in the painting
2: okay um so what clinched it in the end what was the uh what was the tipping point of of the provenance
1: so we we had to prove that it existed before the painting had been painted um so we chiefly were focused on provenance, and we knew that it had been donated by an Anne Sadler in 1660, who was married to Rafe Sadler Jr. Um, his father was Thomas Sadler, who was the uh, godson of Thomas Cromwell, and his father was Rafe Sadler, who was Thomas Cromwell's protégé. Um, we then looked into the inventories of Standon that um, Rafe Sadler Sr., and um, uh, had created uh, upon his death, uh, and we discovered a silver gilt psalm, uh, which was marked out as distinct from the other sorters that were in his chapel. So we were thinking that could possibly be this book. It, it, it certainly is silver gilt. Um, and then we went to Thomas Cromwell's 1529 will. Um, of course, Cromwell was executed, and therefore his uh, possessions were attainted. Um, but the executor of his will was Rave Sadler and mm. all of his books were left to Rave Sadler. Oh. And we know that certain items of Cromwell's did end up where they were intended from his will. We know that there was also a, a move to remove certain objects from his house <laughs> when he was arrested, which is wasn't an uh, uncommon thing uh, to do. Um, but the, the real clincher, I think, was finding the, the hallmarks on on the binding itself some very tiny little hallmarks which not only proved that the binding um, was early modern, that it uh, was French, it was made in Paris, uh, but crucially that it was dated to between December 1529 and December uh, 1530. Um, So yes, the the binding was definitely put on before um, the Mm. painting was created and it was made by an incredibly important goldsmith, Pierre Mongaud, who was the the goldsmith to King Francis I. Um, so, Which is where yes. Anne, Boleyn,
2: Anne Boleyn spent her youth.
1: Indeed, and, and and Mongo grew up uh, in Blois, where Anne <laughs> almost certainly was located on a semi-permanent basis when Claude, uh, the queen to whom she served, was um, uh, frequently pregnant uh, at Blois. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, we also know that Mongo was creating items for the Berlin's, uh, which was um uh sort of another eureka moment so um yeah we ran all of our um points by experts at the louvre who were um experts in the the work of mongo bookbinding experts at cambridge and at the vna um and yes they all came back with i think it's the the, the book so um <laughs> Yeah, quite an extraordinary journey, really.
2: Oh, amazing, fantastic. Well, um, anybody that's going to be coming to the event next year, Wolf Hall weekend in June next year, we'll get even more detail and we'll be diving in um to that. But that's a great overview, Owen. Thanks. Thanks. Melanie, I just want to bring you in, if I may. Um so uh prior to uh this discovery, uh we did we attach were historians attaching any significance to that book in the portrait to your knowledge at all?
0: Not as far as I'm aware you know it it was a case of it's a it's a book this is part and parcel of his you know um of Cromwell's life the fact it has clasps on it i've always thought that it was a religious text i didn't actually buy into hillary's idea that it was a book on um, if you like accounting i thought you know knowing cromwell's interest in 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 reformed religion you know i looked at this and looked at the portrait and thought it's a religious text and the fact it's just pushing over the edge it's almost a, almost a case of reading into Cromwell's mind and this is what you get from the, from the Frick portrait. I don't know whether you agree with that, um, Owen. I mean, you know, this is a man who is contemplating, he's looking out and, and thinking about it and he's, as you so rightly said, David, you know, he's got the skills of um, the articles of his, his work, his quills, his paper, uh, his seal. And we know that originally, he was obviously a devout Catholic. But from this portrait, it raises questions for me in my head as his time in Italy, had he come to the conclusion that actually religion needed to be reformed, hence the conversations which he might have had with Holbein. And Hilary brings that so much to life, that relationship that they had. And for me, her relation you know her portrayal of, of Holpine is very much the one that Cromwell sees and then starts to market the Tudors and you've got Henry, you've got Jane, you've got a whole raft of courtiers but the one missing element is that elusive portrait that may be stuck in a house in an attic somewhere of Anne uh, because they are so insightful. But you have to learn to read them. He is a genius. I mean, you know, he is the master of capturing Symbolism. that inner, inner, inner person.
2: Yeah, and also, of course, for those who who know Holbein, there is that famous painting of the ambassadors.
0: Oh, that's classic.
2: Where, um, yeah, <laughs> where he's got that anamorphosis going on. For those of you who look at, want to look it up in the ambassadors painting. Um, there's this elongated, um, looks like a sw- sphere, or but it's actually a skull. And if you walk far enough up to the right hand side, there's videos of it on Google. You can Google it. Yeah, I walk-
0: have to say that I have to say, David, that I I I find it interesting that some people find it so difficult to see that.
2: But, but you've that got to keep painting, going. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to get right I, onto the edge. Yeah,
0: yeah, Oh, I I just stand in front of it and go, "That's a skull." But That's maybe because I've got such a weird you know, thing going with my eyes and my brain.
2: <laughs> um so there's no, I mean, I'm sure you've had a good look at you know, there's no anamorphosis going on in the in the in the Cromwell painting that that we can no. see. But so next question for both of you, really. Knowing what we now know then about the book and it being a book of ours, you sort of alluded to it, Melanie, but let's just see if, if we can draw any other further conclusions about you know, who I wonder whose decision it was to put the book of ours in there. Hillary says, you know, he looked for the Bible and it was too, too tatty in some way. So, um, he she went for the for this book. Um, but is it actually making a statement then? Do you believe, uh, guys? I do. Uh, hmm. Yeah.
1: Do you, I mean, you do as you well? Do you? I do. I do. Yeah. Very
0: much. So. I you know, because of, of Cromwell's, um, if you like career and also his reforms. I and also the relationship between artist and patron is very key. Yes. And that there would be a discussion as to what would be included. I mean, you've got the ring on his finger. I mean, that you know, Woolsey's ring is very, very prominent. And even though I didn't like the Tudors, <laughs> it they do <laughs> okay. um that they made much of that in, in the TV series. And here it stands, you know, front and centre. Yeah. And, you know, it's that close relationship between patron and commissioner. I think it was Cromwell's decision. Would you? Yes.
1: I, I do. And I I love the way that you, you know, emphasise that it's the the objects that are, are telling us about the person and not necessarily the the depiction of the person themselves. I think we've thankfully moved away from looking at this portrait of Cromwell and thinking he looks sly, he looks devious, he doesn't look trustworthy. Um, and actually trying to trying to understand what artist and patron were trying to project. Um, and I, I, I think everything that is before him uh, are his connections, his um, uh, achievements, and they tell us about the the man that he is and the work that he does. Yeah. Um, and and I I think it's closely linked to um, his promotion to Master of the Jewel House. Okay. Um, you know that he's yeah. he's. Uh, very, very much in the um, royal fold at this time. Um, but I also think it, uh, I mean, the inclusion of this tradition, traditionally Catholic text, it is intriguing. Um, mm. But then so is Cromwell's house. If we look at the inventories of Cromwell's house, we don't find a reformist. We find a traditional Catholic. Yes. And, and that's actually not surprising because The precarity that comes with being a reformist at Mm. this time, Mm. um, really—I mean, you're you're not going to display these items (laughs) um, for for someone to to note down in an inventory. Um, So, but one thing that really interests me. Quite often, we see books open; we can actually read what they are reading. This book is very much closed. It is at the forefront. It is almost there for you to take it's got that beautiful three-dimensional quality to it but we can't see what's inside um and i think that's fascinating
0: well, hmm. there's a whole philosophical debate behind that isn't there i mean you can go into the fact that it's closed from the the general public that you've got to be able to read latin and you've got to know and... all, of, all of all of that but he does have other people pe- you know pieces of paper on that table and he does. It's also there's that scroll which is just visible on the left hand side. And there is a copy of this, which was done in the 17th century, and it has a cartolino at the top, which you know was that done from you know, has this been cleaned off this one? I mean, there's a huge Hmm. debate behind. You know, have the frick had it too much cleaned? Is, was, is that know. is
2: that the reference to the to him becoming the keeper of the jewel? Of I the think jewels. that's yeah, that so,
0: you know from memory it is, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah actually, very interestingly, that the the reference to him being uh, master of the jewel house comes in the letter which is on his desk. Has it uh, been transcribed
2: scroll- fully? Yeah. Is, yes, we yeah,
1: well, you, can, yes. you can read it very clearly. It's and it's a, a letter from the king. Uh, purportedly, um, but very fascinatingly, the, the Frick version did have its scroll at the top removed in 15, uh, Sorry, in
0: 1915.
1: 1915, wasn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other 16th century version, which survives at Burton Constable, retains its original scroll. Um, and the version in the National Portrait Gallery has the scroll, which is the 17th century copy, but the scroll has been altered to the Earl of Essex. Um, so, there is something <laughs> very intriguing going on here. And I have a feeling that the scroll in the Frick version was actually added after Holbein created the portrait. There's no evidence of it in the underdrawing at all. No. Um, so something very fascinating going on there. We're trying to work this out at the moment for an article for the Burlington. Um, but it it it's a, a, a slight enigma at the moment. It really is.
0: But that really sort of does highlight, you know, you know first of all, who was coming into Cromwell's house? Who was going to see this? And then who is going to say, oh my gosh, heavens above, can I have a copy? Who who yeah. pay- oh it must have been Holbein? And then you go back to that relationship of patron and oh, you know, and you think what did they say that I wanted on on that scroll? Particularly the one where it's uh, the reference to the Earl of Essex.
1: Indeed. uh, (laughs) What on earth was going
2: on there? (laughs) You could also say, I mean, my my own personal thought, um, this is huge conjecture, but if it was a gift, if the Book of ours was a gift from Anne Boleyn, which is one of of the theories, Owen, yeah, um, Yeah, then... And and according to Hillary, um, uh, Anne Boleyn was extremely influential in him becoming the keeper of of the jewels. It was sort of her suggestion in Henry's ear. um, Is this a little token, you know, um, I'm acknowledging my power so far has been partly, you know, been brought to me by Anne's support? Yeah, well, I'm really stretching (laughs) facts and fiction here.
1: So there are there are a number of candidates for who, to you know who who may have gifted these books. It, it seems like they would have been gifted um, purely because they come from the the same batch. However, um, if it was Anne, I don't think Cromwell was the original recipient because it was created in 1527, and, and Cromwell just isn't in that circle in 1527. No. Um, there is someone else who is very much in the circle of 1527, 1528. And that's Cardinal Wolsey. So it's not impossible to speculate that the, the original recipient of the book was uh, Wolsey. And we know that the binding was put on between 1529 and 30. So a couple of years after it was printed. So perhaps the binding was put on. To celebrate the promotion to Master of the Jewel House, or to celebrate his involvement in the Great Matter, um, it's a, a really intriguing uh, sort of conundrum that we're we're trying to unravel at the moment, um, and is giving us endless fun uh, if, in doing so. <laughs> yeah.
0: If a question here, Owen, if it was originally in Wolsey's hands, could the binding and the Um, symbolism of the stones um, because originally they were thought to be jacinth
1: that's right yeah
0: i mean could he actually have given it to cromwell and the whole idea that you know that it's you know the jewel house is
1: and and the jewel is within the book indeed yeah and it's the word of god he is he is a a definite candidate because in 1527 he knows that the king wants to marry Anne Boleyn he still Mm. has to pay lip service to Catherine of Aragon and so he's got every reason to gift um, you know a very opulent copy to Anne Boleyn the future queen and a slightly inferior copy to the the queen that's on the wane and of course In 1527, he has every reason to gift one to Cromwell, who has just been placed on his council. Um, So he is a very good candidate, in my opinion, and it it fits um, fairly well um, in in terms of chronology, uh, in a way that if it was a gift from the king or Anne, it probably wouldn't if Cromwell was the original recipient.
2: Yes. Interesting. Um, We we haven't got a huge... Excuse me. I haven't got a huge amount of time, guys. Um, this is fascinating. Um, <laughs> this is just a, a little teaser of what's what's to come at the event, and making me even more excited about the event, of course. Um,
0: yeah, I have, I have to say, David, the one thing which which really highlights here when you get people discussing this is the amount of. Of, uh, you know, research they've done of original documents and their importance and inventory specifically. Yeah. And yeah, We wouldn't yeah. know without that. You know, that's Thank where you and I cross over because, you know, art history and history has the same discipline, really. It's,
1: yeah, um... no, absolutely. I mean, we, we are beholden to those inventories and um, I'm I'm a bit of a geek. I love going through them. I think
2: yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> you know, they really are. <laughs>
2: I'm going to give Hillary the last word, if I may Oh, please Um, Yes Um, So my reading of these three pages Which is um, of the chapter called A Painter's Eye um, The reason I think it's called A Painter's Eye Is because she's trying to portray um, An an image of Cromwell That perhaps she is is a balance um, uh, Of her overall view of Cromwell That he's a normal guy um, he's a normal human being, just like us. When in fact, you know, a lot of people would say that he was—he sort of went, you know, as a persona. What went a stage further. He was almost a force of nature, um, not to be, you know, crossed. And in fact, um, after he's seen the portrait in in uh, Hillary's fictional—I do add <laughs> fictional—account, it's so well written we forget that this is all coming from her imagination. Um, that the uh, Chapuis, the ambassador, comes in and <clears throat> prances around and uh, gives his uh, view of uh, Holbein's interpretation of Kral. He says, still, he says, looking at that, one would be loath to cross you. To that extent, I think Hans has achieved his aim. Uh, in other <laughs> words, um, so from Hillary's perspective, um, this this is reminding us that um, this person uh, in the form of Thomas Cromwell is potentially um, a, a force that's going to change people's lives in a significant way, but not only individuals' lives like Anne Boleyn and, and so on, and, and George Boleyn in, in this reference particularly, um, but he was going to change the course of English history um, significantly, of course. Um, and then eventually... Um, Gregory um the son comes in uh, Cromwell's son and uh, at the very end of the chapter he sort of asks his his opinion so what do you think sort of Gregory and um and then uh, Cromwell himself says he he turns to the painting and he says i fear mark was right and gregory says who is mark and of course it's mark smeaton who was the 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 pivotal person in the conspiracy against Anne Boleyn and and her final execution, of course. And so uh, Gregory says, who is Mark? And um, Hillary's got Cromwell replying, oh, he's a silly little boy who runs after George Boleyn. Hint, hint. Um, I once heard him say that I look like a murderer. And Gregory says, did you not know?
1: It Love sums,
2: it. sums Hillary up in a in a T her skill as as an author and a writer there. I'm really grateful to you both uh for joining me today. This has been a very brief but also um I think a very an energetic discussion. It just shows um how it requires lots of different points of view to build a picture in any way and and I mean we we're, we're looking forward to more discoveries um all power to you and Kate and the others involved in that um and also we're looking forward to um hearing more from you from other aspects of your new career um and your book so you've got another book in the, in in the pipeline did you say
1: yes i'm i'm working on four at the moment um not all <laughs> at once i'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i quite i quite like to have a number of projects on the go Um i, I don't know why it's just the the way i work best i think but yes mm. um some 20th century uh but mostly 16th century so yeah hopefully uh you'll enjoy some of those when they come to fruition
2: that's great thank you melanie you got anything on the boil at the
0: moment yeah, well, yes i have i've 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 been asked to write a uh, contribute to a book of f- essays on the iconography of Mary the First. Oh wow! Yeah, it's um, and um, I'm taking my research on Levina Tierlink, then to the next level, and um, I've also just finished a paper which I'm, hopefully, submitting to the uh, Society of Antiquaries on
2: uh, Hilliard miniature. Um, I'm halfway through a trilogy of psycho thrillers. Oh um, wow! Dead bodies everywhere. <clears throat> so Excellent. um yeah completely different just for fun more than anything <laughs> else it requires minimal historical research let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> just by my, my own dark imagination that's all that's required inspired no less by hillary of course who um who she did, is
0: an inspiration <laughs>
2: yeah she is and she's really? so generous with her help and advice and 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 uh you know she made it there was no ego with Hillary, as far as I'm concerned. She she was a vulnerable writer, and we're all the beneficiaries for it. So thank you both again for your time today. I wish you the best pleasure. with The Ordinary Ventures. Looking forward to seeing you in person next June. Wall4weekend.com if you're interested um, in joining us. We'd love to see you there. Thanks again to both of you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, David.